What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 87 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Noise.co.uk and sponsored by Sterile Brand Records. I am your host, slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and as ever, I'm joined by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, the time is approaching. We are needing to curate that album of the year list. How are you and how are you getting on with that task? I'm well. I'm well. It's great to see you once again, my friend. And I'm I'm feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good about it. Um, I've got about twelve now. Mm, um, right. Okay. That, that, are, that are pretty solidly there, and it's just sort of figuring out the maybe the second half honourable mentions and things like that, and then wrestling with my subconscious for the next six to nine days before we um before we have to finalise any kind of list where I'm making last minute decisions. I was I was still shuffling albums around on the morning of um, of the podcast last year. Yeah, uh, I made like a last minute, or at least the day before, I made like a last minute decision to move a couple of albums up, and and I made a decision about a few a few other bits and bobs. I think it was Falbard that got like a late push because I re-listened to it. And I was like, actually, really good. And uh, Misery Signals by uh, is it Misery Signals? Misery Signals did so. a record that year, yeah. Yeah, Misery Signals um, lost out. Um, and stuff so yeah i that, i'm not looking forward to that process where i'm just like internally conflicted um for a few days but i think for the most part the the money making section of the list is fairly done hey are you top five solid they're in and you've got no temptation to move or or are you top three at least solid with no temptation I would, to move? i would say my i would say my top three are fairly solid Mm. Although I reserve, I reserve the right for that solidity to abate at any point from <laughs> to suit myself. Um, but yeah, I would say top three at this moment. Um, I'm fairly happy with uh, four to twelve though, and twelve onwards is a mishmash, mate. Mm. I haven't started my list yet. That I'm going to start. I've got a, I've got a fairly good idea of the bands that will that will kind of beef it out. But in terms of my top three, I'm not really certain at this at this uh, point in time. I think the only one that I'm certain on is what I would put in at number one. And I'm after we do this show, actually, so I'm going to start because every time we listen to a record that we love, I buy it on vinyl, but I also chuck it into an album of the year list I've got on Spotify purely for these this moment because after this podcast our next four podcasts will be our album of the year show so i'll then that's when i'll go back then i'm going to listen to the albums that i've got in this place and really like start being quite specific and numbering them and being really like really trying to weigh everything up and and fighting internally over what should go where and it, it, it's it's fun, but it's all it can also be like quite daunting and sometimes arduous because I remember when we filmed not just like this film, but literally we're in a studio filming our album of the year show for twenty eighteen or nineteen. It was I that, think it was nineteen. It was it, it was some year. They, they've all blended into one these days. And um, I mean, yeah, I think it would have been twenty nineteen actually. Like I remember in the morning on the way to the studio with you and Jack. I was I was in the back and I was making a I was making a switch in the back of the car because you just you just do that and you you hear like a, a song off an album that came out this year you say, oh that song's amazing and I forgot about this forgot about that so it is quite an arduous task but I'm re- I think that this year we we've said it a million times so we're not going to go into it again but we have been treated this year and I think this year's album of the year show will be the best that we've ever done in terms of quality of albums in discussion. And we've never done a bad one because they've always been great albums to discuss, but this year specifically in terms of, in terms of your average, your average listing for in our album of the year episode, this is going to be the best one we've done this year. I think you're right. I think you're right. This has been the best, best year we've been doing, um, doing this dating back to the same check in 2016. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. Uh, we should tell you who we are, if this is the first time you ever listened to us. Uh, we are the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Noise Academy UK and sponsored by Stereo Brand Records. 
We are Fortnightly Rock and Metal Show. Uh, you can catch us on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, basically wherever you get your podcast. Me and Sam will be there. Uh, the best way to support us is by subscribing if you're watching on YouTube or liking or following, depending on whichever service you are using. Follow us on Twitter at Noise Podcast. Both me and Sam run that account. On this week's show, we're going to be reviewing a new one of Mice and Men album Echo, as well as Volbeat's new record, Servant of the Mind, absolutely nothing going on pretty much in news summer at least nothing that i'd like to discuss with you so let's not hang around we'll get straight into the show man uh, we are going to start things off with of mice and men's new record echo is out on december 3rd via sharp tone records echo is kind of the culmination of three of mice and men eps that have been released this year first we had timeless then we had bloom and now this um echo sees all three eps put together in one full record me and sam have already previously reviewed timeless and bloom separately as EPs so we'll be reviewing Echo almost primarily as an EP but I think there will be moments where we refer to it as a whole piece of music because we'll get into it <laughs> um, Sam does it feel hyperbolic to say that of my and men's career has been rescued over the past three years I don't think so personally I'm just curious what you think about that statement no I, I, I don't think it's hyperbolic at all I think it's a it's a it's a comments on it's been a rough couple of years it's been a rough couple of years for them um with the myriad of of personnel issues that we don't need to detail we don't no. need to retell the story anything no. like that um there's been you know lineup amendments and the band has had to move forward and readdress and and sort of hit reset which is appropriate because you know, when you hit reset, you tend to have to start at the beginning. And that appears to be what of mice and men have, have tried to do um on this on this latest record, um, which is a collection of EPs, as you say, essentially. It's like um like a mini-series, almost episodic, these EPs have been. Um, and the culmination of which I think is is was incredibly vital for them and has I think paid massive dividends. Well, I think you know, anyone curious about of Mice and Men's band history, you can just Google and find out exactly what went on. So we won't talk about that specifically. What we will, what we can talk about though is the fact that it, this is a really weird thing to say, but even though the records have steadily decreased in terms of position on album charts, I feel like the band's got healthier and healthier over the past three years. And that sounds like, sounds like, a, a, like, a, like I've just kind of juxtaposed my own opinion there. You know, if we're talking, if you go back to Restoring Force, that went, that hit fourth, absurd, on the US Billboard 200, and it absolutely capitalised on the wave of, on the wave that modern metalcore was riding at that time. But then once Cold World hit two years after, it really felt like the band's momentum had been slowed, mostly because the album is, is pretty rubbish, I've got to say. It's, it's not a good record at all. And then obviously... You've got the personnel issues, which you have mentioned and alluded to just, which you can Google if you want to find out about it, if you're not quite sure what happened. But I want to point out that this is genuinely the most excited I've felt about this band since 2013, Sam. Yeah, I think the narrative changed when we saw them. Yeah. Um, recently, after after the change, we, we, we felt, oh, all right, we'll see what it's like, but there's no indication that this could be really, really good. They were terrific. Yeah. And walked away thinking, all right, the future could be brighter than we expected, and I think that has that has powered uh, a lot of the a lot of the last sort of eight to twelve months of Mice and Men, at least from from our viewers, listeners. So we we saw of Mice and Men on the back of the Defy tour, which came out in twenty eighteen, and you you mentioned it there. We kind of went, we we got tickets to that show because we was like, you know what, Metalcore in Birmingham, let's do it. It's twenty five minute train journey away. We'll have a good night regardless. Uh, Wage War was supporting as well. But that was when Wage War were really, yeah. really at the peak. That was another reason why we fancied it. And, and we left that gig like that was really, really awesome. And, you know, of my cements to the great band and fairs to Aaron Pauly for fronting this record and absolutely delivering on it. They did another record a year later, Earth and Sky, another very, very solid record. But then it, it gets to the point of this year where, where they've released these three EPs and now Echo as a full record. And really salmon and possibly this is the best kind of compliment we can give the al this album and this band at this current point no reason for you to be an of mice and men fan that's pining over of mice and men in the early 2010s i feel like this album 
whether you think it's better than that period of Mice and Men or not is another question, but it doesn't give you much reason to miss 2011 of Mice and Men, does it? Does no, it I don't think so. force you to miss it? No, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think it's um, as good as a lot of the material they, re- they, re- they wrote during that period of time. And in fact, in some ways, there's, um, there's a maturity to it as well. And there's a professionalism and a sheen that's sort of been attached to some of these songs that I actually think there's a plus point over some of that sort of early peak material. Because when you re- remove nostalgia, this is as good, in my view, as, as a lot of the stuff that they produced in that sort of peak era. I agree with that. I, I, I agree with that completely. And and again, strangely, album chart position doesn't suggest so, but I feel like there's the most momentum behind them now than there has been since 2016, 2017 at least. And again, it, it feels like I'm contradicting myself with the point I'm making about actually in terms of sales, that might not actually be the case. But does it, it, just, it just feels different it sounds like a really kind of strange thing to say when I'm supposed to be someone that's kind of critically looking at something it feels different now doesn't it this brand this era of, of Mice and Men I mean kind of a, a reveal now we're going to be talking to Aaron Pauly next week bassist and vocalist for of Mice and Men that's going to be an extra special episode and I'm going to mention it I'm going to mention the fact that it just feels different as we speak, and for a band that are entering into the second decade, it's n- that's not usual. Usually by usually by year eleven, we already know how it feels. We know how the band feels. We know how they move. We know we know what to expect from them. We know what's going to work. We know what's not. But at this point, for most so many, it, th- there is just a different air around the band, one that I haven't felt around them since early twenty tens. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think the circumstances have obviously contributed to a lot of that. But I I, I agree that the the feels like a somewhat of a retribution around of mice and men, and this does feel like a new era. And it does feel like they've either refound or stumbled across a new identity amongst themselves, or maybe what they they feel that they're capable of, what they feel that they're good at, and what they feel the best serves their fandom and also also them as musicians. I think. <sighs> I really like Early of Mice and Men. Really, yeah. really, really like Early of yeah. Mice and Men. Um, and I didn't like mid, mid-tier, late Carlisle, early early replacement Carlisle situation. The last couple of albums, I was, I was ambivalent towards that period. Obviously, we agree that Cold World, I thought, was, was, was really a failed experiment. I think the band essentially admitted as much with their artistic decisions following that. And, but this, this feels like not just a heralding back but actually a step forward from that too. Like it does not feel that they're trying to recapture. Very hard to I agree. It's very hard to tangibly explain this, that it doesn't actually feel that they're trying to recapture um, their first two to three albums. It feels like as if 2014 to 2020 had never happened and this was the natural follow-up. That's what it feels like to me. Mm. Um, there's almost like been like an erasure of that sort of history a little bit, but it's actually worked. Um, because it isn't like, isn't like the, isn't like a band that's been around thirty to forty years being like, you know, this is gonna, this is gonna sound like we, we did say in nineteen eighty three or, or you know, a band that's been around twenty years saying this next album's the heaviest, heaviest album we've ever done. Not mentioned anybody specific um, with that one, um, but the idea, the idea here is that actually feels like a nice. Sorry, Corey, um, <laughs> it's been a nice transition from. From from their early material in the mid 2010s, like if this came out in 2015, it fits. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but also, I want to shout out again. It's it seems smoother. There's like a professionalism here. I'd, every every song has this kind of like business like approach. Like it's like between four and five minutes long. Everything's very structured. There's like a clear blueprint. It works really really well. They seem to have found what both works for them. And what works for for Aaron as a vocalist, um, who, before we actually get into a, any track by track sort of analysis or even the new track analysis, is coming to his own. Yeah, yeah, man, yeah, man. Really, really coming to his own. You can feel, you can feel the comfort on some of these choruses, which he was always great at. But some of the stuff as as like a really brutal heavy vocalist, like um, the section at the end of pulling teeth 
He's not something I would have ever really heard him do in the last last couple of albums. Um, some massive choruses on Obsolete and Timeless to open this. Even the stuff where they're like on Anchor, where it's like a bass line only during the verses and he's kind of just singing over the top of it. Um, a stuff that I wouldn't really expect. And like to finish on Hopelessly Hoping, which feels like a kind of like, he felt like Licking Park. Yeah, time, man. So yeah, of, man. That kind of that song. So just as like a myriad of stuff that actually it, you can tell that they're comfortable being experimental in terms of their artistic decisions, um, as well as sort of retaining some of the classic metalcore tropes. This is, I remember thinking, I, 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 I should be ashamed of myself for even thinking this because I must like had to remind myself afterwards. I listened to a couple of it. I said, like, oh, that sounds like early wage war. And then I was like, you idiot. Early wage war sounds like my cement because my cement came first. Yeah. And it's like you've forgotten that they were actually like um, the godfathers to a lot of the stuff that we compare to each other now. Um, this is this is this is really, really good. Um, this might this might sneak into a into a certain list of mine um, Interesting. In, in the bottom of the top 10 for me. Um, because when you actually hear it as an overall piece, it is um, great. Yeah, it is terrific. And yeah. and we said it at the time, and it would be churlish not to now. Said to you at the time, um, stick these EPs together. This would be a top ten album of the year for for us. And I've stuck these EPs together, and I I've really got I've really got to stand by. It's a top ten album of the year. This is um this is really tremendous. I think I've really I really really enjoyed this. It's an enjoyable, pleasant listen. Um. And for a metalcore, a metalcore album, doesn't it? Does that stay? It's welcome or actually become too tedious or over reliant on um, the same sort of metal tropes and things like that. It stays varied and versatile, but within the overall umbrella of a good metalcore, um, good metalcore album. And I repeat, um, Aaron, Aaron here, he's just really, really tremendous as a vocalist, and I think he's taken. Um, some real strides and really established himself as a true leader of this band because um, he's he's the star. So I'll start of the show here. He's the star. I mean, he's also the producer as well, which I think is yeah. something, is, is something that should be, it should be mentioned. And yeah, a record that was produced over Zoom because of obviously COVID-19, logistically for Mice and Men to pull off a decent average album here would have been somewhat impressive but for the for actually in, for them to pull off what they have done here which I think is is their third best album I'd, I'd go for self-titled second and The Flood at number one but the, for me this is comfortably their the, the third best album as a whole piece and Aaron Pauly, who it's strange now to, to think this, but Aaron's actually been in the band longer than Austin, which which is it's strange to think. But he obviously Aaron came in in twenty twelve, and he's been there for like nine years. You now I think Austin left after about seven. Um, but Aaron is the star of the show. It's becoming to the point where Aaron takes that front man mantle and, and really runs with it and does does tremendous things with it. I mean, if we if we think about the title track Echo. This that is the kind of song that 2015 of Mice and Men quite simply could not have written because while they had Austin at the ba- in, in the band at the time, they were constantly trying to cater for what he was able to do. And that I yeah. that I that that held them back. That 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 was one of the reasons why Cold World wasn't a good album because they were constantly trying to cater to what Austin could do. And they really obviously Austin left the band and wouldn't be allowed back in the band now for reasons that you can Google. But like I mentioned this at the start. He's not missed. I, I don't miss him at all. Obviously I wouldn't be comfortable with him being in the band now anyway, after allegations that were um, kind of raised against him, but uh, he's not missed. The title track is a song that simply could not have written six years ago. And the, the, the Echo and Helplessly Hoping are the only two songs on this album that aren't already out because Mosaic and Fighting Gravity have already been released as singles and obviously the rest of the album were from two separate EPs this year. But even though people have already heard it, mate, Fighting Gravity, that is what makes me excited about the future. The, the songs like that make me really excited about what is going to come from my son, man. Yeah, I can, I can, I completely, I completely agree. I completely agree. I've just looked, look, looking through some of the tracks here, regardless of, of whether 
whether reviewed them and spoken to spoke about them before. Um, Mosaic could be a could be a could be a modern Slipknot song, like Legit. in terms of the brutality and stuff, like and the and the, the tempo and some of the some of the drum work here as well. And then also could have been adds, on any of Mice and Men album pr- prior to 2014 as well. Completely agreed. Completely agreed. There's um they seem to have tapped into a, a kind of brutality as well that I never thought they'd be capable of with Aaron Pauly at the helm. I really thought that'd soften because of because of his involvement. And they would sort of turn into kind of like a hard rock band with elements of metalcore, but they've absolutely swung the other way that they're a metalcore band with some elements of hard rock at times. And it, it's really worked well. There are just some choruses as well that they couldn't do with Austin Collin. You're absolutely right. Um, like Obsolete is not a chorus Austin mm. Collin could have could have contributed to. Um, really, really, really at all. Um and the fact that they've got they've got a songs like songs got like Levy and the title track Bloom and Pulling Teeth as well. Um, big shout to bands that can make sort of transitions towards a more theatrical sound or like a grand sound in terms of how big how big it feels, but also maintaining some of that um, some of that metal uh, metal tropes that make it as hard and as tough as it as it as it continually is. It's a, it's a great comeback story. It's a it, it's it and that that's 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 a nice narrative to be able to talk about, and they they deserve that because the last three to four years must have been anything but easy. I want to focus quickly on the concept of me and you. We've mentioned it a few times. We've drip feed it into our conversation. What's next? Like what 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 could possibly come next? I mean that they've. I, I, as a fan, I've enjoyed the three EP releases. They've been brave enough and bold enough to kind of roll that out there and see what it looks like. We're going to speak to Aaron next week and we're going to find out how they kind of evaluate the success or whether there was something that's happened that's made them potentially think about doing something in another way in the next record release. But I like I like how they've gone about this record. It, it's the kind of thing where if they were to just release this album as, as a whole piece in February, there's a decent chance we and several others would have just forgotten about it by now. But by releasing it in three separate chunks, they've kept themselves in the zeitgeist and kept themselves in memory because, yeah, the first EP, Timeless, great. In fact, I think Timeless is the best of the three EPs. Timeless, brilliant. And then I think they released in like February, they let the dust settle on that. They released Levy, I believe, in so they released Bloom, sorry, in August. The dust has settled, and now Echo right at the end of the year, bringing everything together and rounding it off. I feel like it was a really astute move, and I feel like that this is something that metalcore bands could absolutely utilize, or, or any band could utilize moving forward because I think it's worked really well. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. Actually, it's kind of extended their place in the zeitgeist for twelve months out of the same amount of creative output, um, which which is which is really sort of good. Um, it only works really if your album's good, though. Yeah, um, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. I know that everyone thinks that it is, but like, I mean, there are certain albums that just would not have survived a three-month dripping release because by track seven, by the second release, we're like, actually, mate, you can keep the final third of this. It's all yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but that that works when you've got. A, a, a terrific album because um it, it worked wonders for turnstile as, as well sort of releasing singles over the course leading up to a final release really where you felt like you were just filling in gaps so i thought that actually that was really really cool so yeah i massive respect for mice and men and i think this album is a is a is a grand success of mice and men are absolutely back to the best and that i tweeted this out earlier that's a cool thing that is because at one time you had to question where it was going to go for them. If we, if we look back six years ago, it, it's it's not looking great. And another thing that I love that I have to mention is that they're on Sharp Time Records and you've got young bands like Loathe and Holding Absence on Sharp Time with all the potential. And then you've got the proven heavyweights in Of Mice and Men headlining and giving the, having been that veteran band, if you can call them that. And I think that, I think that works really well. I can't think of a better place for Of Mice and Men to be the non-sharp time records acting as the veteran band and uh, literally 
the next two years of a master men's career could be really, really cool to sit back and watch as a, as a fan because the signs indicate that there's still something great to come. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And I, I like their place. Um, I like their place in the metal world as as you've stated as well. Well-deserved at this rate. For those of you who are watching on YouTube, you will notice that me and Sam have, uh, or at least me, has uh, somewhat changed clothes. Um, and that is because when we tried to do this uh, episode on our normal day of recording, the internet speed between us just kept crashing and it was literally impossible to do the review. So we had to, we had to cut the recording and wait for a couple of days until we were both next free on the same evening to do the end of the podcast. So with that, we are now going to move on to Volbeat Servant of the Mind. It's out on December 3rd via EMI Records. It's the band's eighth studio album and the follow-up to 2019's Rewind, Replay, Rebound. I'm almost scared to do this intro, Sam, because I did it like, I did it like six times on the day that the internet kept cutting out. So I'm almost scared to say this again. But um Volbeat are a band that I'm they're this huge multi-platinum selling band, but I'm pretty much barely familiar with them. So if you're a huge Volbeat fan listening to this, I should kind of preface my discussion here by saying that contextually I've got limited knowledge on Volbeat. Uh, Sam, are you in the same boat as me there? Yeah, I have no idea about anything outside of this album for Volbeat. Um, I've not really been familiar with them at all. I know, like you know of them. And by the way, since the internet crashed, I've just been sat here, frozen in time for two days. Brilliant. If you wonder why I'm wearing the same clothes, I, I initially wanted to be committed to the um to be committed to the edit, so I put on the same hoodie. Um, but if we're gonna just peek behind the green curtain, I actually haven't even showered or anything. So. <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely right. I didn't even think of that. Brilliant. Um, I mean, in terms of Volbeat, their popularity, they're a band that I have often seen people discuss in terms of potentially making that leap and headline and download. And that's not what this conversation is going to be about. But I think that does speak to the adoration and popularity uh, that Volbeat are accustomed to. I mean, their albums generally perform incredibly well in the charts. They've been in the top 10 of the US Billboard 200 on several occasions, which is a very difficult thing to do. Uh, they've also been in the UK top 10, and uh, as you would expect, absolutely monolithically massive in their hometown country of Denmark. In terms of them headlining download, I, I listening to this album, before we actually talk about our feelings on it, I feel like they've definitely got the kind of crossover appeal that would at least like, make them musically a respectable fit for that, whether they're actually, I don't know what their UK tours sell like, to be honest, but it, at least musically, the crossover seems like it could fit. Maybe an Alter Bridge and Volbeat co-headliner could be a thing. Yeah, I, I could I could see that from a musical standpoint, because like you say, they, um, they fit the moniker of being a sort of all-encompassing type of rock slash metal band. There's even moments on this album <clears> where you can really see the variety. Mm. Um, and the the different sort of demographics that they can appeal to in quite an impressive in quite an impressive manner, um, and I assume they've got a whole host of songs that also do that in their repertoire. That obviously I can't really refer to in detail. Um, uh, this is a great idea of me and you reviewing a band that we have no no contextual knowledge for whatsoever, <laughs> just sort of shuffling around like a, a blind man. But um, I I understand actually. I I like you. I'm hesitant. Uh, to crown them as a headliner because I think to myself, is there enough of a three to four to five to six song repertoire that 80,000 people could sort of simultaneously enjoy? Mm. It's a difficult one. I could see an argument whether like a sub-headliner or like a co-headliner, like you say, I think that would be an interesting one. I think pairing them with Alter Bridge as well is is kind of making, putting 250 piece together to make a pound. And that kind of feels like what you're trying to do. 
um, or what you know the general download consensus is sort of talking about there. Um, I could see it, I guess, uh, and I can also see um, how some of their musical uh, career actually sort of lends itself to that. So I'm okay with that viewpoint, to be honest, to be fair. So in a sense, we might be the worst people to review of Albeat record. But here's why we're not. But in a sense, we might not be the worst people to review of Albeat record because because we it's weird. It's like it's like a double entendre because like our lack of contextual knowledge both helps and takes away from our ability to review. So if you're listening to this as a huge Volbeat fan, we're not coming in with any kind of preconceptions about the band, which helps in a way because we haven't got an idea in the back of our heads of we love it when Volbeat do this, but hate it when they do that. The same way as I guess you know, if we were reviewing the new Mastodon album, we we had good at least good knowledge of Mastodon already. So if Mastodon would have gone completely off kilter and done something completely different, there's a chance he would have had a clamoring or wishing that they wouldn't have. But if this is like an offshoot Volbeat album, me and you wouldn't know. So we all we can speak about is the quality of these songs and the quality of this album, which I've got to say, Sam. Volbeat and Michael Paulson, the vocalist slash rhythm guitarist in general, are fantastic at laying down a chorus. This album, at the very, very least, this album is supercharged with some real, real great choruses. Really, throughout most of its entirety. Yeah, I think that's probably fair to say. I think this is... um... It's a jukebox of a, of a rock and metal album, really. Like it, it feels like a lot of them have, have catered to a big hit radio sound, and 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 they they appear to have massive success putting that together. And if this is an indication of the sort of music that sort of colours the rest of their discography, then I can I can completely get it. I, I really really do, um, because there are so many, so many, absolutely massive um, rock and metal songs. And a, f- and a few songs that are not really metal or rock songs at mm. all mm. that also are absolutely humongous. And, like, there's, like, a few bands I was thinking of sort of listening to this. A few of them include sort of, like, Five Figure Death Punch and maybe, like, Nickelback at times. But really, as well, we were verging on, like, Megadeth and At The Gates with some of the other moments, too. There's, like, moments where there's, like, real dark metal and thrash, but also a real rock and pop sensibility um, that appears to be married very successfully and i can see why this works um for a large audience i can we're going to go into more detail here but i guess for me sam the greatest marker that would reveal your level of enjoyment of this record is are you never volbeat fan i wouldn't say i was a volbeat fan right so he, doesn't, I, I, he doesn't do enough to win you over fully because no. I, I feel like no. i'm a volbeat fan off the back of this did you know I, no I, 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 I love a you know i love a chorus i love a chorus. yeah but but i thought this would remind you too much of like bands that bands from a yesteryear that, me and that you, you don't really at. enjoy well yeah or me and you argue about in smoking areas as the, yeah. as the recent case is evidence for <laughs> yeah um um but yeah so i i thought that you'd be like all right this sounds a bit classic rock for me um, and that's a bit of a turn off sometimes for you, um, but clearly there's enough of a modernity for me. For me, I, I if someone says Volbeat to me now, um, I'll have a positive reaction. I'll say I like their last album and I thought it was pretty good, but I I'm not necessarily going to dive back in the same way that I have done with previous albums I've heard this year. Can I ask if for you the sticking points are the kind of slightly cheesy deliveries of some of the climactic moments of the songs. For example, on Temple of, I'm assuming it's Temple of Echo. Or yeah, Echo. that was. Uh, yeah. I'm assuming Temple of Echo would bother you. And also, I would take a guess that Wait a Minute, My Girl would have also bothered you. Oh, I'm going to surprise you a little bit. Okay. Wait a minute, my girl's my favourite song on the album. Okay, that's really cool because I've got a note here saying this would be the best song that Green Day have written since 2004. I was thinking like late 80s Meatloaf. I'm not familiar with Meatloaf, so I can't really comment on it's that. It's the, the, the piano, rock, blues, saxophone in the background um, kind of vibe. 
you listen to uh, Paradise by the Sea by Meat Love, uh, or really any any like early 80s Springsteen B-side like has got this kind of like blues rock kind of feel to it, which I immediately uh, found myself gravitating to and thoroughly enjoyed as a um, as a palate cleanser in between two fairly standard rock songs um, like heavy, like Sacred Stones. It's like a heavy metal tune with a pop chorus. I've heard, you know, thousands of those. And, and Temple is a four to the floor rock tune. And in the middle, I'd thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed it i completely enjoyed the vocals there and i actually thought that was one of the i was one of the songs that really suited his um melodic style uh, whereas sometimes what what we get back to my your initial point sometimes there's dark music going in the background and his vocal juxtaposes it in a way that isn't appealing to me um so for me the highness and the sort of operatic range of his voice actually takes away from some fairly good uh riff work where i actually think it should be maybe like gone down the sort of more aggressive or down-tuned route vocally. Uh, but that's not his style. That's not the way he sounds. And that's the way he feels with his fan base. So I'm not going to sit in it picking what is a what a six-time platinum-selling metal band. Clearly it's working for them, so I've got nothing to say. Um, but just for my personal taste, yeah, the, there were moments of this that were, um, that were difficult to swallow because they just felt a little bit um, overtly theatrical and dramatic, which, it, which as you know, I'm not, I'm not historically a fan of um really ever um so that's not that's not risky for me necessarily i would say though sam that there was a lot of this that i picked on up on that i thought well at least musically and now sam's having a good time here because yes the the build up on the devil rages on and the build up on heaven's descent are both excellent and when i was listening to those songs as well as enjoying them myself i thought Sam is definitely sitting somewhere and, and enjoying this because there's a real musical flair and music musical kind of I, I guess kind of like sweeps of ideas really that float through both songs in terms of the instrumental sections and I, I just could picture you really getting something from that because I, I certainly did uh, I actually think that the Devil Rages on the Heavens Descent are both excellent songs I really enjoy them yeah, I think actually the Devil Rages on is, is, is a nice microcosm for what I'm talking about because I love the opening riff. Um, it felt dirty and bluesy and I really enjoyed that. I like the swing time um, falling around it. I, I even quite enjoyed like his, what felt like kind of half an Elvis impersonation with kind of his drawls vocally. And some of the uh, some of the guitar work was reminiscent of, of Mizzaloo, um, that sort of like rolling uh, low E note. But the thing what put me off at the end of that song was the um the the valleys references in the in the in the vocals that wasn't wasn't really necessarily the va um I think it was it the, the bit we talked about the valleys dark and cold and he repeats that line over and over again that type of stuff that for me I, I would that wasn't that wasn't working as a, as a as a as a crescendo moment for the song I felt like they had something good going with instrumentation and just took a turn that I wasn't out wasn't necessarily it wasn't necessarily for me but the first sort of four and a half minutes of that was really really good until that point. Um, but when I talk about the positive, so it doesn't sound like I'm just trashing Volbeat for the sake of it, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, the opening of Saint Elmo, which massively reminded me of She Wolf by Megadeth, but a little slower. Uh, if Megadeth fans are listening to this, hopefully they'll know what I mean. Um, and then it was an interesting rock tune afterwards. I actually enjoyed that they get to their choruses really quickly. They don't mess about. Uh, like Heaven's Descent, like the chorus is like 30 seconds in. Like they're already sort of peaking upwards. I think that's really, really impressive. Um this is a nice album to sort of enjoy. I even enjoyed the ballad, like the, I think it's called Dargan Four. I love that um, song. That's my favorite song on the album. That is it was awesome. Really, it was really good. Awesome. Really, really good. Um, and it had like a nice depth of the vocals. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed some massive parts of this. Like, there's Step Into Light has an indie riff on it. It feels yeah, it like. Does. And then, and then becoming follows it, and that could have been on like a testament album this year. Like it's yeah. it's kind of wild that they sort of mix all this sort of stuff together. And I think for the most part, it's incredibly successful. Um, I I again, I've I've had like numerous oppositions to various vocalists of various styles over the years, and some things sometimes things just hit um, don't don't sit right with with me as a listener. But bottom line, I think if you like Volbeat's vocal style overall much, much more than I do. And I think this works in large portions anyway. 
Then on top of the, the music musicality here, the instrumentation, some of the songwriting, I don't see how you don't walk away from this thinking. This is like a eight or nine out of 10 album that you've heard this year. If you really like Volbeat, I think this is a real success for them. And a comparison, I as well, I'm going to talk to you about this. Mind Block. If you put James Hetfield's vocalist, vocals on this, couldn't this be on the last Metallica album? I put on for, for Mind Lock, my, my opening note was that there's a real Megadeth, Megadeth, Megadeth feel to the lead riff, the crunchy sliding riff work. I I, I loved Mindlock. I thought it was really cool. I, I agree. I, I some some really nice stuff and as well. Like um the the final the final original song on the album, uh Lasse's Bagita, I think it's again, I'm gonna try and pronounce it. Uh it's a beautiful riff, really atmospheric, really up-tempo verse, and that reminded me of like Old school Merciful Fate, which are like um kind of like prog early era new ever not what well, no ever British heavy metal, but sort of like a Scandinavian metal band from like the early early eighties that Metallica did like five covers of uh, for Garage Inc. But they kind of just sounded like this sort of like up tempo um sort of theatrical metal, which I think when done really well is really fun and a really enjoyable listen. And that that's what I will say about this. Um, it's not all for me all of the time, but considering it's like 15 things across the, the album, that, that isn't surprising. But what it never is, is boring. It's never dull. Mm, yeah. It never, it, it never, it never lacks interest. There are never two songs that really sound the same. Nope. Never two song structures that are ever following the same blueprint. Despite the fact the vocalist has a very set range. He sounds how he sounds. Um, they appear to have written a whole variety of songs around his voice that accent it, accentuate it, allow it to be uh, both the forefront and allow it to slip in the background at times for some of the riff work. The guitarist deserves a shout. There are a couple of fantastic guitar solos on here in a variety of styles. Um, I think this is a really, really fun listen, and I can absolutely see why they build a fan base because yeah. you could put, if you were a rock or metal DJ you for radio or a nightclub, you could put this on at three o'clock in the afternoon or three o'clock in the morning. Like, and really mix and match. Um, I could hear this on classic rock radio, uh, dri driving through town or whatever, and also listen to it two and a half, two in the morning at a pub or a nightclub. It, it, it really does suit that. And I can understand why really they're the archetypal festival band. Because if you're a festival organiser, you could just stick them anywhere, couldn't you? You could just main stage anywhere between 4pm and, and 11, and you're going to be absolutely fine, and there at least be a good time. And I think that that speaks to Volbeat's consistency over the years, even though I obviously have not been a partaker in that. You can see it from a distance that they've just been a regular appearer because of stuff like this, where they're simultaneously varied, interesting and consistent, heavy and melodic, with a pop sensibility as well as a, a relative foot in good metal tropes that don't also wear you out or get repetitive. I'd I could I get it. I completely understand. This is a professional sounding record from a veteran band. It's a good album. I think I'm with you. Like I, I, at this point, I totally understand why Volbeat are massive because just to accent something you were saying, beer in your hand at a festival at seven o'clock at night with Volbeat playing <laughs> sounds Damn. great to me. Sounds great to me off the back of this record. And I'll, I'll, I'll just shoot out some songs that I would be, obviously I don't know the back catalogue well. So I, I, you know, if I just shoot out some songs off the record that I'd be upset if I didn't hear. Wait a minute, my girl. Uh, Shotgun Blues, Devil Rages On, Say No More, Heaven's Descent, Dog and Four, The Passenger, Becoming, Mind Lock. It's most of the album. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's most of the, Now, obviously, they, they, there's very much a chance that there's another 12 or 13 Volbeat songs out there that are much higher quality that people would say, no, you're forgetting this, 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 and this. But from what I've heard from this record, most of this album would be tremendous to experience live with a beer in your hand and your friend. Because it's, like you said, when we were talking about the Turnstile record, we, we said... Basically, what do you listen to music for? Music is supposed to be entertaining. It's supposed to be fun. At the very baseline, what you listen to music for is entertainment and fun. And there's absolutely barrages, barrages of it on this record everywhere, all over the place. Even in the moments where you could think, oh, they're going a bit over the top here. It's a bit too theatrical for me. It's a bit too cheesy. It's a bit too 80s. It's still fun to listen to because everything's always performed well. Um, I believe, if I'm pronouncing this right, Rob Caggiano, 
is the lead guitarist and he puts in a performance on this album because some of the solos that he does are absolute bangers. Some real, real brilliant ones that are just coming out of nowhere. I love Dargan 4. Dargan 4 is... Um, it's a shame they've released it as a single, really, because if, if you're a Volbeat fan, I, I'd be telling you, oh my God, there's a song on the album called Dargan 4 and you're not ready for how melodic and capturing and how infectious it is. That's not much better than Dargan 3. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, that that's my favourite song on the album. Um, you mentioned uh, Las Lasses Big Bagita. Well, be, oh, yeah, I'm not entirely sure. Um, for me, that was the one. That was a song on on the album where I thought, yeah, it's nearly eight minutes, and I was expecting that slow build to hit a climax of something huge. Uh, but that never really happens. It's more of a patient repetition of the opening riff, a, a decent hook from Paulson, the the vocalist, but. For me, I was waiting for that. After everything this album has done, all these choruses, all these melodic hooks that it's just thrown at you for 40 minutes, you would think that the last eight was this really climactic, like, huge ending, and that never really happens. But there is an army of beautiful melodic hooks throughout this record. Michael Paulson is... Yes, his range is somewhat limited and you mentioned that he doesn't really change his range much but he still manages to achieve so much with that range and it's it's a very 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 apparent that Volbeat know how to write songs as a band that knocks him up an echelon in terms of his vocal impact I think that is particularly clear this this album has, has, has made a fan of out to me of Volbeat, I, I wouldn't say I am now desperate to check through the back catalogue. I can absolutely tell you I'm interested, though. And when the time presents itself, maybe over the Christmas break, and I've got a couple of hours spare, I'll be going to the best of Volbeat section on Spotify, pressing shuffle, and just taking in whatever I can. I think I'll get a real, a bit of a Coheed and Cambria vibe with, with Volbeat. I'd take Coheed and Cambria over them. But I do get that kind of dexterous, like open-ended rock vibe. You know, Volbeat can be a punk band, they can be a rock band, and they can flirt with metal as well. And they do all of those things very, very well. And I can see that. If if you're if you're a huge Volbeat fan, I would be amazed and would like to know why, actually, if this album isn't for you, because it is this some kind of left like sharp left turn they've quickly taken their career i can't imagine so this long into their career i can't imagine they're taking huge risks at this point but thumbs up for volbeat for me this album i think is really good not quite in my album of the year this during or any kind of contention but such is the ridiculousness of this year it would have taken something quite spectacular to to make me consider that this is a great record. I, I, I really, really enjoyed this. I am glad to have discovered Vol, Volbeat now. I have every intention of diving in and seeing the real crux of Volbeat's work. Yeah, I, I think that's probably fair enough. Um, this has changed my bias or viewpoint that was, wasn't based on a great deal of, of actual factual knowledge about them. They just assumed that they were just a big European band that weren't suited to me, that had an audience that I wouldn't have very much in common with. And listening to that, I can, I can completely understand why they've had some sense of crossover appeal into this country where they're considered legitimately headlining type, um, type act. I think this is um, a great representation of what they can do, what they have done, and what they're likely to do moving forward. It's a very, very good album. And I think, like you said, if you're a Volbeat fan, I'm unsure um, what you'd need. But that being said, without the, um, without the back catalogue, maybe they're a heavier progressive metal band in previous iterations that fans are harking back to. That's fairly common. Or maybe they're just versions of this that they were better at that you want to say, well, actually, if you like that, you should hear this, this and this. And that's absolutely fine as well. Um, but at the very least, like I said a little bit earlier, they are a veteran, professional, top tier metal band, relatively speaking. And they have absolutely shown why on this album. So if you're already a fan of these or even more of a fan than me and you, um, which is which is not saying much at this stage, then you're absolutely going to enjoy what's 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 going on ahead because once again, 2021 has brought it. 
I feel like we did as well as we could do there in terms of, you know, <laughs> we, I, I do kind of apologise on behalf of both me and Sam. If you're a huge Volbeat fan listening to a, Vol- a review of the new yeah. album, Servant of yeah. the Mind, you're going to want to be listening to two guys that have great knowledge on Volbeat. But we wanted to just be open and honest and not try and wing it and try and pretend we had a great knowledge on them when we didn't, because if we did that, we might say something that makes us look even worse than we look right now. So apologies apologies if you were hoping to come to the Volbeat experts and we haven't been that what we can tell you is for me Servant of the Mind is a great record Volbeat fan or not there's there is an undeniable level of brilliant beautiful melodic hook to this album that just burns throughout 80% of its 50-55 minute runtime. I can't see any reason why anyone listened to that record and not find it a good time. So apologies if you're a huge Volbeat fan and we're not massively interlinked into that Volbeat world, but we can't listen to every single band in the history of the world ever. It is difficult. Um, we're actually going to leave it there for this episode of the Noise Podcast. However, we are going to be back next Tuesday Next Tuesday, me and Sam are going to release our interview with Aaron Pauley, bassist and vocalist of Of Most and Men. That is going to be our final interview of the year, which is going to be a really cool month for me and Sam. Kind of full circle, really, for me and Sam, as interviewing Aaron Pauley. Sam, we're Of Most and Men, the first band we ever saw together at Slam Dunk 2016 or 15. Yeah, I think either them or North Lane, if you consider North Lane with the earlier head, the earlier performance and stuff that we saw. Fascinating. Um, but but of mice and men with the headliner on that day. Kind of a full circle moment for us. That is going to be very, very, very cool. We're releasing that next Tuesday. And then our album of the year show for 2021. Good Lord, how are we going to get the, <laughs> condense this album list down to 20? Our album of the year show, I am going to release... At the latest, on the 20th of December, that is going to be the absolute latest I will release the album of the year show. So we are going to go kind of quiet over Christmas. Reason being is that Christmas is generally the quietest period for album releases and general news. Also, me and Sam are are pretty busy right now. So we're going to take that period of time to kind of get our stuff done in terms of work, recharge, and then get ready to hit you back up in the new in the new year with fortnightly episodes starting back from January 2022. Thank you so much for listening. We are going to be back then next Tuesday with a pure episode follow interviewing Aaron Pauley. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Noise Podcast, to like or subscribe on YouTube or follow depending on whichever podcast service you are using. We're going to be back next Tuesday. Thank you for listening. We love you. Bye.